1: a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure and now with this week's episode your host clinical psychologist
0: dr nazanine moali hello hello welcome to episode 54 of sexology podcast i'm your host dr Nazanin moali this is a very special episode This is the one-year anniversary of launching this podcast, and I cannot believe that that's been a year since I launched this podcast. I know some weeks it's been really challenging to push myself to do it, but thank to all of you guys who wrote me emails and uh, sent me tweets and wrote on my Facebook. You guys are the reason that I'm doing this because hearing your feedback is very encouraging for me anyhow i thought for our anniversary episode i wanted to do something a little bit different so i counted and i interviewed five different thought leaders psychologists researchers in the area of uh, sexology sex therapy and uh, sex education, and there's just so much great information. So if you just started listening to this podcast, I highly encourage you to go back to check out the previous episodes because my goal is to approach different topics. So I'm not necessarily covering the same topic. So if you haven't listened to something that you're interested in the past, this is your opportunity to check it out. In this episode, what I did is I look at the statistic. I chose the 10 most popular podcast episodes that you guys listened over and over and loved. And I chose a segment of that that I felt it was helpful and informative. And I put them together for this episode. So I will put the link to the specific episode In the show notes. So, if you're kind of interested to hear more about the specific conversation that we're having, you're welcome to check it out in the show notes and listen to the full episode. And also, I wanted to remind you for the month of January, I'm offering a free t shirt with Sexology podcast logo for any listeners who write us an honest review in Apple Podcasts. All you need to do is to take a screenshot of your review. You can email it to me to drmaoli at sexologypodcast.com or you can put it in our social media. And even if you don't want to write a review, I would love to get connected with you in social media. The best social media as far as the one that I use most, I use Twitter and Facebook a lot. So I would love to get connected with you there. I usually post articles podcasts information about psychology of food sex and drug and it's an easier way to get connected with my listeners so i leave the information about my social media accounts in the show notes as well here are the 10 best sex advice from our previous guest enjoy it the first pearl of wisdom comes from our guest, Dr. Albert Wong. Dr. Wong is a psychologist, martial Scholar, and Director of Somatic Psychology Program at John F. Kennedy University. Uh, he was our guest in episode one. And in this segment, he talks to us about how we can deepen our uh, sexual and emotional intimacy
2: sacred time together, you know, special time, you know, and I think sometimes couples have this belief that sex should be kind of spontaneous Mm -hmm. and, you know, this should happen. And, you know, if you, if you actually plan it out, it's, uh, (laughs) it's, 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 it's not real sex, but, you know, I think people forget that, you know, when, when people kind of first went out on dates or whatever that is, you know, that, that on some level that was kind of you planned to have sex. Were you prepared, <laughs> you know, for the potentiality of it. And so, even just creating ritual and space and time set aside that's special, I think it helps people feel safe and secure. And, and when people feel safe and secure, then energies that are blocked, kind of particularly kind of sexual energies, can can start to to be. More accessed. There's there's this notion of what they sometimes call the vigilance center. That um, you know we have to feel safe mm-hmm. in order to feel sexual, right? And that oftentimes you know we we're scared or we're stressed, and um, we need to um, be nurtured and uh, connected with and um, held in a certain way. And that when we are uh, held in in a certain way, we start to feel safe and our vigilance center starts to let go. And Mm -hmm. we can start to allow feelings that were otherwise dormant to emerge. And uh, yeah, so so that's, those are some things you can do to to really um, help uh, with rekindling uh, sexual desire.
0: This segment is from episode six. Our guest was Dr. Looney Barback. Dr. Barback is a couple therapist, author of dozen books, and lifetime member of APA. And in this segment, she talks about how to give good feedback when it comes to uh, sex and sexuality that will help your partner to hear you out. What
3: I
4: always say is to be positive, which means that whatever it is that your partner is doing that you like, you let them know. And then you let them know what they could do more of. And maybe if there's something that's really bothering you and you can't get them to understand in a positive way, sandwich in the middle. You know, and I'd rather you didn't do this because it actually hurts or, you know, it it kind of is really uncomfortable. I, I find that my arousal stops when you do that. But I love it when you do this. And this is one of the, you know, I can't, tell you enough how much I love that. You know, do you know what I mean? So you're, you're basically Absolutely. giving the person positive instructions. If you say what you don't like, it comes across as critical. And then people feel defensive and they feel bad. But if you tell them where you want to go, you are also specifically guiding them because an awful lot of men would do it if they, had, if they knew what to do. And so getting positive information is enormously helpful because they want their partner to be happy. They want her to be orgasmic and to enjoy sex. It's in their best interest. Next, we have Dr. Emily Nagoski,
0: an author of the New York Times bestseller, "Come As You Are. She was our guest in episode 10, and she teaches us how we can keep the passion alive after we're past the point of hot and heavy period of meeting
5: with someone and falling in love so it's definitely the case that when things are new so when you're in that hot and heavy fallen in love stage you've got a couple of factors increasing literally increasing the quantity of neurotransmitters they're being released by your brain in response to these stimuli the fact that it is new the novelty increases the amount of brain chemicals the fact that it's attachment related and attachment is this really fundamental biological mechanism driving you to go be connected with this person it is huge so that all amplifies the way your brain responds to sex stimuli remember that context piece the context of falling in love really amplifies sexual arousal. So that is one kind of experience. And we happen to live in a culture that really privileges that particular kind of sexual pleasure and sexual experience. So then, you know, 10 years later, when the flame of the hot and heavy fallen in love has burned down to a smoldering ember, you're in a situation where in order to get it to burst into flame, you got to take the bellows to it. Like you got to do a little work. The context doesn't so much cause flames as it does like sustains the fire. Um, and there's a couple of different, philosophies about what to do at this point the one that works best for me and people like me but definitely not for everybody is to change your assessment of that sort of low intensity we are attached to each other experience through mindfulness practices so the metaphor here is this isn't about like i'm starving i can't wait to like go and get the thing Right. That's one way to experience it. That's the hot and heavy fallen in love. But then there's the like I come home to my certain special someone and we cook the dinner together and we feed each other the strawberries we were saving for dessert and we lick wine off each other's bodies like that's not the hot and heavy fallen in love. But it is really intensely pleasurable if you bother to pay attention to the pleasure so, the hot and heavy is more about wanting of the sex, whereas the fallen in, like we are now a sustained couple, is more about the pleasure, the enjoying, the liking. One of the main ideas in the book is that wanting and liking are non identical experiences. And the later in life sexual experiences are much more about just enjoying what you've got to experience.
0: This segment is from episode 14 with Dr. Patty Britton. Dr. Britton is a clinical sexologist, sexuality educator, and the co-founder of Sex Coach University. In this segment, she talks about the power of thoughts and how the stories that we're telling ourselves impacting our sexuality.
6: I have clients from so many different backgrounds with so many different goals or needs. And some of it is actually helping them overcome their story. And this may sound odd, but we all come with a sexual story, which we create. We write the story. And a lot of the work that I do is helping my clients rewrite that story. It's like reframing the narrative of what are you telling yourself. One of my favorite people of all times who was a renowned sex therapist and also psychotherapist among other things was Dr. Albert Ellis. And he used to have these wonderful expressions. He used to say, stop awfulizing.
0: He's funny to watch. <laughs> like,
6: stop catastrophizing. What are you telling yourself? And I was his patient for three sessions. That was all I could take. Uh, he was a very intense man. And I learned so much from him, both as a patient, but also as a role model for the authenticity of how a therapist or a coach or a clinician might work with a, a client. And part of what I learned is that so much of where the enemy lies when it comes to losing desire or not feeling empowered is actually what are you telling yourself. It's your sexual story. It's how you wrote that. And you can rewrite that. And it may need help. You may need to kind of look into how do people construct that story, how do they rewrite their story. And certainly I do that in my private practice. But I think being able to reframe that even though maybe at 12 you had a disabling or disappointing or traumatic experience, that doesn't define who you are for the rest of your life. And that's really important. Having techniques, having technologies, having the support that's competent and well-trained to help you overcome and heal past traumas.
0: Next, on episode 15, we had Dr. Jennifer González sociologist and sexologist. She talks about the fantasies and why you might want to share them with your partner.
4: It's a great topic to talk about in
5: couples counseling or just with your partner on your own, again, without judging each other. But like, that's where you get insights into, you know, what, I mean, what your partner fantasizes about is what, you know, is what's so hot for them. And that's valuable just to know, because once you learn that, and if you could talk about that, then one, you could either integrate it in big or small ways into your sex life together. Or you can even, because I know some couples that really like telling stories to each other. And they know the fantasies that the other one has. So when they're together, they may actually be create verbally creating a scene right. that they know is really arousing to their partner. So, I mean, there's lots and lots of ways that the masturbation aspect, the fantasy aspect and talking about it um, and doing things together can add um, to our relationship. In episode 19, we had
0: the sex therapist and author of Wanting Sex Again, Mrs. Lori Watson in our show. She talked to us about one of the uh, horror myth that caused some issues in relationship for couples the difference in terms of how
1: different a man and a woman are in their arousal and how much time it takes. A man can see his wife come out of the shower and he can have an erection and be ready for penetration and very quickly for orgasm. Whereas a woman, you know, most of the time, she needs about 20 minutes of letting go of her day. And that means Maybe being naked in bed or undressing or talking or starting to detach from her list, right? The list of all the things she's got to do. That's, that's a big hang-up for women. How do I stop that from going through my head when I'm supposed to be thinking sexual thoughts? And there's about a 20-minute transition that a lot of women do not really even like to be touched directly. They don't want their genitals or their breasts to be touched during that time when they're starting to get in the sexual mood. And then most women, on average, need about 20 minutes of direct clitoral stimulation to reach orgasm. And of course, pornography makes it look like every woman reaches orgasm through sexual intercourse, which we know is not true. I mean, only about 15% of all women reach orgasm through sexual intercourse. And I, I think that I'm going to say that one more time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's very important. Yes, please.
1: <laughs> Only 15% of all women reach orgasm through sexual intercourse. And that just leads to gobs of misunderstanding. Women feel inadequate. Well, I I can't get there the right way. And men feel inadequate. Maybe she doesn't orgasm because I'm not big enough or I can't last long enough. And the reality is, is her clitoris needs to be stimulated for a very long time. For her
0: to catch up with the male arousal pattern. In episode 21, our guest was licensed marriage family therapist and certified sex therapist, Mrs. Ronelle Nelson. She talked about mismatched libido, and in this segment, she brings up some of the possible causes of low desires in individuals.
7: One thing about um, libido and struggles with desire is one thing I love to tell my couples is it's not one person problem. It's a couple's problem. And sometimes that can really cause another low interest is that the person with the low libido takes all the blame, the shame and the guilt. And that kills desire. OK, so it, um, the approach can kill desire. Another thing is that control and power, you know, in a relationship, like you have no control. You feel powerless. You think you always have to have sex. That can kill libido. Intimacy. You know, you don't have any intimate connection. Somebody just touch you and they think that you're supposed to be open and ready for sex. And that can kill desire because you feel like you don't have any say-so in it. It's no intimacy. It's no communication. It's no bond. Um, Stress. Oh, my God. In today's society, even um, just watching CNN today, if you just stress, day-to-day stress, motherhood, jobs, Um, environmental stress that can kill your desire because you bring that in and we hold it in and, you know, during sex, sometimes we are so stuck in our heads and not in our bodies. So that can kill the desire. Um, some other things are like unresolved anger. You know, you have this unresolved anger, either towards your spouse or to something else. And it comes out during that intimate time that you're withholding sex or you just don't have the desire. I, I get a lot of that in my practice. <laughs> I know. And one of the, um, some other ones are like sexual dysfunction. Sometimes um, as women, I can speak that we suffer silently with sexual dysfunctions and even men. So instead of going ahead and having sex, you have a low interest because you don't want to confront the concern of eager ejaculation or not being able to orgasm. So you have low desire. Um, The last couple of things are like trauma, past trauma or past abuse. Anything can, if you got PTSD from that and how somebody approaches you, that can change your desire to have sex and abuse. We know that it's same thing. If you feel abused and you don't want to be in this relationship, that will um, kill your desire also.
0: In episode 30, we had Dr. Liné Sanjon, a board-certified sexologist, sex educator, and a writer, she shared with us the five building blocks of healthy sexuality.
8: When I first started studying about human sexuality, it's it became pretty clear to me that you have these, I identified them as the five building blocks to a healthy sexuality. And They don't really have anything to do with, you know, where penises go or what you do with vaginas or things like that, but they really help to develop a solid foundation. And they are communication, consent, respect, pleasure, and fantasy.
3: Oh, I love that.
9: And
8: yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, each of those things are independent, but they do work together as well. Communication has to do with. Being able to express yourself, your needs, wants, desires, being able to talk about emotion, being able to have emotion. It also covers, you know, sort of that nonverbal communication as well, right? So if somebody freezes up, you know, it's important to ask, like, what's going on for you? What, you know, what's happening? You've got consent, which you know, there's a lot of talk about consent these days, um, and we can go into that a little deeper. Respect, in in the way I think about it, there's a lot of different aspects, but Respect for self and for others. Um, it's also when you talk about respect respect for self. I think of that as you know respect for your body and you know having a healthy body image as well. The the last two bullet points of the five building blocks are pleasure and fantasy. And these two are the hardest for for parents and for adults in general. You know you have pleasure. Most adults sexualize. I would say a lot of things, if not everything. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and pleasure can be something as simple as a hug. Pleasure is self-care. You know, there's a lot of different aspects to pleasure that don't have anything to do with sexuality or or being sexual with another being, but they do have a lot to do with developing a health, healthy uh, sense of self as well. You know, a hug can be, I, I say this, you know, I've said this a number of times. I think I've written it a couple of times too hugs are so important and they can be so moving, you know, a hug can, can evoke tears if you really need a hug and a hug can soothe tears. And so, you know, something as simple as a hug is, is totally about pleasure, but it's not sexual pleasure, right? And it's just more than, there's so much more than just sexual pleasure. Fantasy, the last bullet point is one that, I mean, it really, like I said, it's tough for adults fantasy is, is healthy. It's, it's healthy to fantasize. People have a difficult time talking about their fantasy. And if you look at little kids, when they play, they can get really involved, right? And as adults, you know, taking that sense of play with our, you know, with our adult partners is, is also something that's really, really healthy and being able to talk about it, ideally without any shame or judgment, you know, not all fantasies work out to be acted out, but, um, you know, it's, uh, It's certainly something that can be healthy to talk about.
0: Dr. Lori Mintz, therapist, professor, and author of Becoming Clitorate, talked about the different kinds of orgasms. And
10: what I talk about in the book, Becoming Clitorate, is that while there is some evidence from scientists, there's like of different kinds of orgasms, and then there's also some scientists who say, no, that evidence isn't legitimate, that I actually really think that that question itself of what types of female orgasms and which is better sort of sets up this false dichotomy for women that there's a right way to orgasm and that one way is better than the other. And we don't hear people talking about Men's orgasms by the source of the stimulation. We don't hear about intercourse orgasms or oral sex orgasms, or it's only when it comes to women's orgasms that we want to characterize clitoral, vaginal, um, and then sort of declare one better the, than the other. So basically, what I really like to tell people is that every woman's body is different. The genital nerves are actually have a different way of being across all women's genitals. And so every woman has her own unique way of reaching orgasm. And however you reach orgasm, most reliably is the right way. An orgasm is an orgasm is an orgasm. Yet that said, a a big part of the book, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is that about 95% of women require some form of external clitoral stimulation to reach orgasm.
0: In episode 41, we had Dr. Fern Pomeranz. She's a clinical psychologist, sex therapist, and staff psychologist at Stanford University. She talked about the differences between women and men's sexual arousal, and she introduced a dual control model.
9: So we used to think about arousal as a linear process. So anyone who's ever taken a basic human sexuality class probably learned about Masters and Johnson's four-stage sexual response cycle, and you might remember the diagram from class. It had the excitement phase, the plateau, the orgasm, and the resolution. And we were taught that this applied equally to women and men. But in reality, male and female sexual arousal is a lot more varied, complicated, and not necessarily linear. So in the 90s, researchers at the Kinsey Institute came up with the idea of the dual control model. And basically what this model says is that there is a gas pedal and there's a brake. And so the gas pedal is the sexual excitation system and it responds to everything in the environment that your brain codes as sexually relevant, and it sends a signal to turn on. So this is everything that you see, smell, hear, touch, taste, or imagine. And then there's the break, which is the sexual inhibition system, which notices all of the potential threats in the environment, right? So these are all of the reasons that you probably shouldn't be turned on right now. So things like stress, grief, anxiety, fear, fatigue and it sends a signal to turn off so we often think that difficulties with sex are about a lack of stimulation to the gas pedal but it actually turns out that there's a lot of a lot of the sexual difficulties are actually caused by too much stimulation to the brake and so probably most listeners have had the experience of having a really tough day at work, right? Like a poor evaluation from a boss, or maybe a disagreement with a coworker, and you know, coming home and then finding it very difficult, right, to turn off your work day and connect sexually with your partner. So, in terms of gender differences, men tend to be better at compartmentalizing their lives, and they're likely to be sex more sexually aroused. Uh, than women by putting pressure on the accelerator or the gas, so things like lingerie or porn or role play or sexy talk, while women are likely to be more sensitive to the brake pedal. And so for women, the arousal process is not simply about adding more gas, but actually letting up on the brakes. So things like having less stress in their lives or being in a safe environment having a good body image. Lastly, we
0: had Dr. Anita Johnson in episode 42. She's a well-known depth psychologist and she's an author of Eating in the Light of the Moon. She talked about the relationship between shame, secrecy, and sexuality. Here's where what I find for many women, this connection with shame about their bodies and their sexuality, um, begins with the with menarch with the beginning of the menstrual cycle, where they're taught to be ashamed of this, and and they say that there's two kinds of secrets, those that are sacred and those that are shameful, and in, in the absence of something being treated as though it is sacred, it becomes shameful. And so I think for many women, very few have had the experience of exploring the sacredness of their sexual energy. And as a result, they become ashamed of their bodies and ashamed of their sexuality and ashamed
4: of their sexual appetites.
0: I hope you enjoyed the, these advices and parallel wisdoms that these experts shared with you. and. One thing I wanted to talk about is as I was preparing for this episode, I was listening to all of the previous episodes and I realized there are some common themes that keep coming up in conversations. One of them is how you can change your sexuality and improve it by effectively communicate your desire with your partner. And unfortunately, many of us, because we didn't learn how to talk about our sexuality and how to give a voice to our desires, it's just so hard and challenging to bring it up with our partner. So one gift that I have for all of you guys is from the time that this episode goes live, To the Valentine days. So it's gonna be four weeks. The gift that I have for you for anniversary is that I'm gonna give you 50% off of my counseling services from now till Valentine's Day. So it gives you four weeks to contact me, come as many times as you would like. Because based on my personal experience and professional experiences, some of the challenges that people have can get resolved in few sessions. And instead of you kind of trying the old pattern and getting frustrated and resentful, you can just come into my office and we can help you figure it out. And also one thing i want you to keep in mind is this is a very limited time offer because i i don't even have a reduced fee spot in my practice anymore but i i want to give you this gift in order to take advantage of this offer you can directly book in my website i leave a link of the opening in my schedule in the website or you can call me i think calling might be slightly better Because it gives us an opportunity to talk about how I can help you and also about the structure of our work. All you need to do is to give me a call at 310-600-9912. Again, my number is 310-600-9912. So this offer of 50% off of all my counseling services is good through Valentine's Day. And also, if you are in L.A., you're welcome to come to any of my offices. I have two offices in South Bay. Or if you're in around the world and just want to do the Skype session, that's another possibility. Anyhow, please let me know if you have any thoughts and feedback. Otherwise, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology podcast.